Welcome back. So there you have it. Much to unpack from Minister Godongwana's 2023 budget. And joining us for further analysis are former Goldman Sachs Sub-Saharan Africa CEO and co-chairman of the Youth Employment Service, Colin Coleman, senior lecturer at the Witz School of Economics and Business Sciences, Lungile Mondi, managing director and global leader of capital markets and political economy at Intellidex, Peter Atard Montalto, and development economist at the Stellenbosch Business School in Tabiseng, Moleko. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, all right. So we have gone through the budget and I'd actually just like to start off with your ratings out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Starting with you, Colin. What, what do you rate the budget? I'm going to skip the rating. <laughs> Over to Lumkile. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. We'll let you think about it. Uh, Lumkile, your rating out of 10? Uh, it was all that, what I expected, so I'll yeah. give him uh, about 9. Okay, okay. Just just based on certainty. Yeah, that you just take a course. No Consolidation, uh, yes. times are tough. Stay the course. I'm very happy. Yeah, okay. Uh, Peter, on your side, rating out of 10? Well, it's a very confusing budget. We're still trying to get our head around it. It's maybe a, a five-ish, but there's a lot of uncertainty in here to unpick it. I'm sure we will in discussion now. Yeah. All right. And on your side, Ntabi Um, I'm going to be frank. I'd give it a three and a half. Whew. All right. We'll definitely be diving into uh, those ratings. But just, yeah, actually, uh, Colin, you're not, gonna, you're, not, you're not getting away with this. Look, I, I think the the budget um, did exactly what I expected okay. it to, to do, uh, which I think misses the mark entirely on economic growth, mm. but uh, deals with the fiscal consolidation question in the way I anticipated, and uh, also forward projects uh, a lower revenue than you said, not taking into account further revenue surpluses from the commodity boom yeah so it's very conservative budget all around uh, there there's no no economic stimulus for the economy uh, and it does deal with the escom question there's a lot of devil in the detail around the escom recapitalization i have read the appendix yeah uh, but i still have many questions about how it's precisely going to work and how much negotiation has happened with the debt holders itself yeah uh, as a former banker, uh, when you announce something like this, I would immediately go to, so what is the benefit for the remaining debt stack in terms of, can you term out the debt? Can you cheapen the cost uh, of, of the debt? Uh, can you negotiate with your debt holders better terms? Uh, which None of which seems to be carried in the budget speech. So I have many questions that arise from that. Peter, I know before uh, when we were previewing the budget, you also had something to say about uh, that debt. Uh, just looking at what did come out, taking on $254 billion, uh, of the ESCOM debt into the government's balance sheet, um, do you also feel like it, it was a little bit uncertain, not clear enough? Well, the numbers are absolutely ginormous. I mean, they're, they're doing more than expected uh, in terms of the total uh, debt relief uh, package. Uh, there are some concerns here about how they're doing it. They're doing it by basically giving ESCOM an interest-free loan up front before they convert it to equity, which basically is giving ESCOM a little bit of a free ride. Um, but the, the key uh, upside here really is if they can get a, the conditionality 
uh, baked in. So, for instance, the most significant piece of conditionality actually was that they've said that DPE is going to be uh, working on a private sector participation model for transmission investments. Now, Praveen Gordon has been blocking private sector participation uh, into transmission investments. Uh, that's created huge problems uh, for ESCOM and for the electricity grid. So, Treasury can do that. That's amazing. But it's just quite an about turn versus where we are actually at on that kind of thing uh, at the moment. That's why this conditionality uh, is so important. Yeah. And actually, Lungile, just coming to you, uh, those conditions that are attached uh, to this move by government to take on that ESCOM debt, um, are they strict enough? Are they supportive enough? Well, I mean, this conditionality is really, uh, because remember, these are between state entities. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't put any value on them. Uh, just to, to remind ourselves, um, when ESCOM was being mismanaged, uh, we, uh, there were conditionalities that were put to ESCOM by the Minister of Finance then. And uh, nothing was done until then Chairman of DBSA, Chabumule Geti, uh, came out to say, you know what, if you don't act on the chairman, you don't do the governance things, we're going to withdraw or call our money. That's when action started. So, so I'm, I'm just saying that no, mustn't too much reveal on those on those questionalities. I think it is just talk where the politics of of, uh, of state of state owned enterprise and the politics of the NC government mm -hmm. will, will come to bite, and nothing will be done. So I wouldn't put value on them at all. Yeah. And Tabisang, I just want to come to you because you said that you give it a rating of 3.5% and there's a real concern about growth. Where do you think that it, it did not speak to growth or where was the government short there? Well, the reality is that uh, uh, the point you asked about the ESCOM debt credit restructuring and whether that is going to help bolster growth in South Africa, I don't really think that there is a direct correlation. Instead, we may see the solvency problems of ESCOM not really um, dealing with the structural issues in ESCOM that led to that, uh, that debt problem in the first place. But the second point is um, it's going to have a real knock-on effect, and it has had a knock-on effect in terms of economic activity. Uh, whether you're looking at uh, enterprises, whether you're looking at households, and particularly um, your industrial-based firms and mining sector, which South Africa is highly skewed towards in terms of generating revenue and also output. And that's where we get our um, the large bulk of our CIT and corporate income tax. So you are going to see uh, slowing down in growth. We've seen that in the last two quarters um, already last year. Hmm. Right, I think Ntabi Singh is frozen there. But just talking about uh, that growth picture, there was an upward revision of growth for 2022 um, from 1.9% to 2.5%. Manufacturing and a worsening of the existing fleet. Hmm. Oh, Ntabi Singh, you keep on cutting there. Um, you keep on cutting. I think it's it's a connection as we're talking about ESCOM and load shedding. I'm sure that's the problem. Hmm. Um, just looking to see if she's coming back. All right. Okay. That 2.5% revision, is that, something, is, is that something to get excited about? Not really, because, uh, I mean, effectively what you're talking about is a post-COVID snapback, uh, but we hardly made much room back. Yeah. So you've got to look to what is normalized. And I think what he's presenting is 1.5% normalized growth over the next three years mm. with a 0.9% uh, in 2023. 0.9% uh, below population growth, 1.5% po population growth. Uh, and for us to grow at population growth with 42% uh, 
uh, unemployment, the levels of inequality, the social problems that we have. You know, we, we're, we're a country in crisis, as we started off by saying. You know, we have this combined economic growth trap. There's nothing here to break that. We have resilient businesses, uh, you know, producing corporate tax and revenue and effectively saving the country from a revenue point of view in to enable this expenditure. Uh, but we have this failing infrastructure problem. Uh, I, I do believe the, the ESCOM uh, debt relief is an important resolution. I don't think, uh, I agree with Peter, I don't think we should underestimate that because uh, it's very important. As I say, I think it can go further in terms of renegotiating the uh, remaining debt stack in a, a way that benefits ESCOM and the country uh, further, and I'm not sure what has been done in that regard. Perhaps that's happening behind the scenes, perhaps it isn't, mm. uh, but I would uh, call for uh, the remaining debt stack to be refinanced effectively. Yeah. Uh, so you've got, you know, the 430, less than 250. Uh, get that to be refinanced. Perhaps, you know, if the the EBITDA from ESCOM is around 40 billion rand, you're talking about, you know, the remaining debt stack being three to four times EBITDA, which is at the high end of emerging market norms but at least it's now within a normal band. Yeah. So that, that is very, very important. It must be accompanied by operating financing and ma management improvements at ESCOM. The key with all of these entities, systemic entities, ESCOM, Transnet, is who is the CEO of ESCOM, who's the CFO. With greatest respect to the cabinet members, with greater respect to the board, they play a secondary role relative to the management to the actual operations. Mm -hmm. So this is the critical question for us to investigate. Yeah, and Tavi Sang, you're back uh, with us. Um, I just want you to finish your thought on the ESCOM de debt situation and its correlation or non-correlation to the growth picture. Uh, apologies, I'm not sure what happened there, but I think the point I was making is that um, the ESCOM uh, impact on output uh, across all sectors is going to be um, catastrophic in that uh, the gains that we've made post-COVID are going to be completely wiped out. Instead, there's additional costs for businesses, households, and I think the economy in general uh, to try and intensify capital expenditure on alternative uh, power generation sources. Uh, I think for me, what is not clear is what conditionality is going to be put in place to make sure that we're not in the same trap again as ESCOM and we're not having to bail out as the state, the very ESCOM that has uh, on its own uh, ended up here. But the second aspect I was questioning is the issue of the maintenance of the existing fleet. We're seeing stage six load shedding because there's a multiplicity of failures across the power stations and the existing fleet capacity is really constrained. And there's no real strategy that we have heard um, in terms of that. So from the growth perspective, the National Treasury's outlook is quite positive. Uh, it doesn't seem to appear that they have taken a real view on the negative and disastrous impact of not having sufficient power, let alone the structural issues that the economy already has. And so the 0.3% estimate of growth by the Reserve Bank, without interventions, without a clear strategy, without a plan on how they're going to deal with the existing constraints in our economy um, is a more realistic figure. So I would say that to have a 1% growth estimate is for South Africa unacceptable. 
we cannot be accepting this type of growth outlook uh, with the infrastructure, with the competencies, and with the competitive advantages we have as an economy. And I think for us to be at this point points to uh, the type of policy and decisions and institutions that we have that are simply not being enabled to perform, nor are they performing at the optimal levels. Yeah. Now, just talking about uh, continuing the conversation of ESCOM, of course, there's still uh, money that they still need to get from the municipalities. And there's some measures that uh, Finance Minister Enoch Godongwana said that the government would be taking in terms of getting that money back. But the situation is so, there's so much rot there. Uh, Lumkile, do you think that uh, we could get to a point uh, where we can sustainably um, pull out that money from municipalities? Unfortunately, this is uh, one of the weaknesses in our system, whereby uh, the, our public representatives uh, don't understand the responsibility uh, that comes with them taking administration um, posi administrative positions. So we know that many of them, particularly in this province of ours, both the premier uh, as well as the new political leadership, promises to give away freebies uh, to the rest of the population, uh, be it um, uh, biometric controlled um, doors in, in poor households, etc. So the pattern really of that the state gives you things for free, unfortunately, mm. uh, has been embedded. Therefore, any relief that the state tries to, to give, even though justifiable so, uh, it makes sense because many people are indigent, they're poor, um, and therefore they cannot afford. But the message, it, it sends, reinforces that behavior of entitlement of getting freebies. Therefore, it is going to be very difficult even for future generation, um, unless we create opportunities in the private sector, people are employed. If the pattern continues as it is, it means that basically that municipalities will forever be unable to collect any revenue from people uh, because people believe that mm. the state shall provide. So it is that uh, approach and, uh, and the continuity of that uh, by politicians that deepen that. So ESCOM uh, can give the church relief, but the ministers will come back again and ask for another relief. Yeah. Kodongwana um, and Tabi Seng said that government non-interest spending will be kept below the level of revenue into the future. Is this sustainable considering the pressing need for higher salaries in the public sector and uh, the fact that there's more of a need to boost uh, social spending? So we currently spend last year about 300 billion just uh, in terms of debt servicing. He's projecting, in, in fact, that will increase to almost 400 billion um, in terms of dealing with the usually foreign uh, denominated uh, debt that we have accrued over the years. So. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure uh, what is happening is really reprioritization. Uh, if you look at the budget itself, it's just simply taking from one aspect of the budget uh, to uh, increase in terms of debt servicing repayments. Um, the 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 real issue in South Africa is that we are not able to grow the source of revenue. The revenue sources are not expanding sufficiently. Uh, we do have more needs, we have a bigger populace, uh, we are having a constrained um, economic activity coming from all economic sectors. If you look at business confidence and, and various other metrics, you generally see uh, that there is a, a downward 
uh, revision in most uh, business confidence indexes if they're not on the negative trajectory. So what you're generally seeing is that uh, the tax uh, sources and the tax revenue sources are uh, constraining or contracting rather, um, and the needs are really just getting worse because less people are working because of less econo economic activity and a constrained uh, outcome. We are seeing significantly high levels of our budget going to debt servicing, and we are seeing more and more uh, Bretton Woods institution servicing and providing finance to us. Others argue that this is cheap finance. Um, why do you need the finance at all? Why don't you restructure the, uh, uh, the fiscal uh, framework so that you spend where you actually can generate future income and uh, you make sure that uh, your spending is not nearly consumption uh, based, but rather generate future income and investment revenue um, from the infrastructure and other spend, spend side. So it's a very small fraction going towards that from a capital uh, formation perspective as a portion of GDP. It's actually uh, less than 14%. So we, we're not seeing those improvements gonna, that are going to come and give us a long-term economic strategy uh, 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 turnaround in the future. Uh, we're still consuming. Yeah. Um, Peter, uh, the, uh, what he said about that we're going to be in a position uh, of a primary fiscal surplus in the current financial year, um, but including debt servicing costs, we're still in a fiscal deficit that's 4.2% of GDP. Does that really highlight... Um, the choking effect of the debt servicing costs that we have right now? So this is what the market is mulling over just now, is this is a bit of a surprise. Uh, people thought actually the profile would be a bit worse than at the MTBBS, so it might move out, uh, the primary fiscal balance might move out a year. Um, what seems to have happened is that they've actually upgraded revenues for this year. Uh, as opposed to downgrade them. The revenue run rates were quite a bit softer actually in the last couple of months uh, than we, I think, the market thought they would be. And this comes back to Colin's earlier point. We're going to need to have a really massive bumper February and March uh, revenue income to achieve this primary fiscal surplus uh, in the current year. But the other thing that's going on, and I think has got missed in a lot of the analysis, is that there is actually a huge amount of tightness in the expenditure here. Uh, they've taken out net uh, across the whole coming three years, uh, just under 50 billion uh, rand. And that's, of course, adding in our SRD uh, versus the um, uh, MTBPS. So really, there are sort of underlying cuts here, like 100 billion rand, which I think have gone largely unnoticed. So basically, them projecting forward uh, underspend in the current fiscal year. Uh, so this is actually a really tight budget. And I think comes back to the point I was making before the break or before the speech and the point Colin was making, like what is this budget actually for in core underlying expenditure terms? What are the priorities, etc.? Instead, we just have this ratchet forward, which is made easier uh, by taking out the, the uh, results of inefficiency in government, which uh, comes out in underspend. A tight budget, uh, would you say that it prioritized uh, consolidation more? Yeah, it was, a, it was a budget aimed at fiscal consolidation. Yeah. In that sense, if you think of the problems that we've outlined here, it's basically putting a Band-Aid over a sore. And we have a crisis. Uh, we have a crisis of economic growth, rising inequality, failing infrastructure, uh, and rising crime. Mm. And none of what we have seen is going to deal with those underlying issues. What we need is we need an economic stimulus to get growth going. We need to capacitate the state. As Lumkile says, the state doesn't have the ability to spend money in an efficient and reliable way. I actually 
addressed the Auditor General's conference this morning in Sun City, where we were talking about the fact that the Auditor General is like the doctor watching the arteries of the state. Uh, and there's uh, a growing belief that the state is having some form of heart attack and he's sweating. Mm. And unless we clean out the artery of the state, it is going to have a heart attack. So what does this budget do to clean the arteries, uh, to stimulate the blood flow uh, to the economy? And we need to stimulate economic activity, real economic activity. I'm talking about expanding investment, expanding industrial development, uh, getting more productivity in the economy. These are the types of things. And unfortunately, what we've heard here, I think, is admirable in the sense of fiscal consolidation, but completely lacks a strategy for growth. Does it come at the expense of? It does, because what Peter's just touched on, if, it, if it's correct that there's 100 billion rand of effective efficiency baked into the numbers, what that means is there's less uh, money going into the state, which in a sense withdraws uh, in itself a source of stimulus for those in, in the system. Mm. And it's very difficult because uh, to absorb that, it's being absorbed by people with very little. They probably have their own, um, their own people that they are looking after back home. Uh, so if there's less going around, you know, uh, it's, it's good for financial markets. Mm. And you would have seen the RAND, st uh, the RAND strengthened about a half a percent. I think it's retracted a, a little bit. Uh, but it was largely market well, well received by the market. Uh, I, I, I think that in the long term, the markets need to know how are we resolving these key uh, problems that uh, yeah. we are facing. So these are just going to be short term moves. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Lungkira, how are you looking at the quality of that expenditure? So let me just make a comment yeah. on what uh, Colin has said. So what where South Africa is exceptional at is making political choices. So we choose to select uh, one, of a one of the most mediocre CEO to run a parasitical, uh, the worst CFO. Uh, we choose within the cabinet to appoint uh, a minister in a position in an area where his or her competencies don't exist at all. When we have to take economic choices, which this is a period that requires. And we've been saying this for the past four years. Mm -hmm. This is a period where we have to, to take hard economic choices and we're unable to do so. So this reflects that. Yeah. Basically, uh, the Minister of Finance realized that, you know what, the decisions that I want to make can never go through because of political choices. Therefore, what I can do is to consolidate, is to stay the path and continue because my party doesn't know how to make economic choices or, or choose to make and prioritize political choices. And therefore, the fact that the South Africa is where it is today is because of the dominance of political choices, which are easy to take uh, by the governing party at the expense of economic choices. So as long as that continues, yeah. we're going to continue going down, down, down. The yeah. road. All right, I'll come back to my question of the quality of that expenditure, but we are crossing over now to Parliament, uh, where Nolutandom Tondi Mlambo is standing by to give us some commentary on what she has seen there. Nolu?
Now, good afternoon to you, Zinati, coming live from the Western Cape at the Cape Town City Hall. And of course, the Minister of Finance, Enoch Godongane, has given the 2023-2024 budget. And with reactions, I do have a member of the Nkata Freedom Party, um, Kulego Shengwa, with me. We know he also chairs Scopa, but today speaking to him in his capacity as a member of the IFP, reacting to the budget. Mr. Shengwa, good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's talk about this budget and the IFP. Do you feel like it is responding to the urgent issues um, that we are facing as a country right now? It was a safe budget. You've got an election coming up next year. Can't rock the boat. You need to say the right things, but the taste of the pudding is in the eating. Will they be done? We've been down this road before. Of course, what we need to do now is to cross-check the budget against the president instead of the nation address as to whether it meets those demands um, that he placed on the table. Secondly, the minister had very little room to maneuver. You've got a shrinking tax base per se, not many people paying taxes, in as much as there's heightened revenue collection, but the amount of people paying tax is not enough way over to overstretch, right? So at the same time, there's competing priorities, social um, relief on one hand in the day-to-day, month-on-month um, social grants that have to be paid. There's an indication, you know, a heightened social um, grants regime is an indication of the problem because the more people you have on social grants, it means less people paying tax. So it was a fine balancing act. Secondly, of course, there's a heightened attention towards um, pushing back on corruption. If you look at the SIU receiving funds to be able to work with the special tribunal, um, and it was very good for the minister to make particular emphasis on emergency spending insofar as disasters are concerned because there's an assumption in certain spaces that the PFMA flies out the window. No, 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 there's two rules that actually govern it. But all in all, it was a very safe um, election budget um, and the taste of the pudding is in the eating. He had a very fine balancing act that um, he had to do. Um, and we welcome, of course, the fact that um, the road accident fund levies uh, and the fuel levies will not be increased. In fact, the IFP's call has been that it must be suspended to give relief. Um, to um, South Africans. So the fact that there's no increase is a step in the right direction. But all in all, it boils down to prudent financial management, consequence management, and making sure that um, public funds are used maximally. I think it was important to have infrastructure development focus um, that you spoke about. But at the same time, there is a need for infrastructure maintenance. Um, there's a lot of money is going into building these things, but a little money to maintain them. And then, of course, over time, we have to overhaul. So there has to be that particular discipline, and it means building capacity at municipal level. So let's also speak about the fact that the budget was mum on issues of education and healthcare, um, Mr. Kiangwa. And of course, these are very contentious issues, especially for the most vulnerable citizens of the country. And so because we're focusing on things like energy, we're not hearing about education, we're not hearing about healthcare. Should this be something that we're flagging about this budget? Well, we should flag it, but one will have to go through the budget um, that um, has been tabled. And there is a need for a focus, particularly on the basic education, higher education, and health department budgets as a priority focus um, for this term. Also, the transport budget, insofar as road infrastructure is concerned, particularly around the areas of um, road to rail. But what clear is what he's saying is that the minister was ticking the boxes of political correctness in this regard. And so, because there's been no controversy around healthcare per se or education, insofar as they're taking the public limelight in terms of headlines, it's easy to put it on the 
back burner, but those are the things that actually make society tick. You do need a healthy workforce, you do need an educated workforce in order for you to be able to generate the taxes that you need moving forward. So it was a missed opportunity on his part to be able to take the country into confidence, particularly um, for rural communities, township communities, and in light of the fact that the president was very bold in so far as the NHI was concerned. So one would have expected that the budget would respond to that mega um, government project. Whether one agrees with it or not is secondary, but if you're not going to match it with funds, it's quite clear that it's not a priority. But at the same time, maybe an indication of the disagreements which prevail within the ANC itself. We must obviously be concerned um, about the ESCOM debt being taken over by government um, at this point in time because it's yet another bailout and we have maintained that we must not throw financial solutions to non-financial problems unless the management and administrative um, dynamics that ESCOM are resolved we will continue throwing money at them as we will be doing into SAA and other SOEs which are fast failing and the president digging in his heels about dismantling that department. I'm very uh, glad that you do mention the issue of ESCOM. Let's talk about municipal debt, the disconnect between the national government and then municipalities and our inability to really also get municipalities to be servicing that debt, that really threatening ESCOM's business model. Um, and so when we do bail them out with the kinds of bailouts that we have heard of today, um, does it help if we end up in a, in a, in a place where you know, we are unable to collect all the revenues that are due to ESCOM? Well, as a principle, the revenue must be collected. There's no doubt about that. The user pay principle has to apply. ESCOM has made a clarion call for um, municipalities to take up the indigent program that they have in order for it to balance out what is there. So that 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 must be um, you know an established principle. I know now I'm here as IFP, but let me put on my other head momentarily as co-chair to say we have had a long journey um, of disagreements between the various government departments and we are sort of bringing it to a particular convergence now as a committee, particularly around the area that the Department of Public Works has audited these bills and has found that there's a discrepancy. So the figures being touted at this point in time have got no credibility insofar as the government departments actually arguing amongst themselves. Municipalities are lodging quite a number of disputes but at the same time, we do know there's a billing problem and crisis in the country generally. So the integrity of that figure is questionable. But all of that said and done, we will be having a meeting of the relevant stakeholders in this term to sort of now pull it together. You will recall that yet again, this was one issue the president took uh, to the presidency and was chaired by the deputy president of resolving this matter. It has not been resolved. But ultimately, the capacity of municipalities is a primary focus, really. Right. Right. Thanks for that, Anolu. Uh, let's get back to quite interesting points that he made there. Um, and he said that it was a safe budget, as the gentleman had said, quite a boring budget. And before that, I was actually just talking about uh, asking about the quality of the expenditure there. Uh, Colin, um, do you think that um, it was a safe budget uh, to the point where it compromised the quality of the expenditure? Look, I think the quality of the expenditure has to do with the implementation, right? So this is not up to the Minister of Finance. The Minister of Finance aggregates the demands from his colleagues uh, and makes a series of judgments as to how to allocate that. I would actually like to sit back 
and reflect, for example, on how much has the police budget changed relative to last year? And obviously, we don't have, we haven't had the time yeah. really to dig into this. Uh, but where are the kind of core priorities of government at the moment, and uh, how is this budget allocated? Those so to really unpack what judgments he's made. But the quality of the implementation is really mm. uh, up to the government as a whole. So, you know, when I did the 2013 Two Decades of Freedom report for Goldman Sachs, which is now a decade old, uh, that at that time, the education and health expenditure of government was at the top of emerging market peers. But the outputs of literacy, numeracy and life expectancy was at the bottom. So. You know, the question is, are we getting our bang for our buck from the expenditure that is being allocated? Yeah. My guess is that South Africans out there uh, are highly concerned that they're paying their taxes, they're paying their fair share, that there's a lot of seepage, a lot of corruption, a lot of wasteful expenditure, a lot of irregular expenditure, and that we're not actually getting the bang for the buck for what we are, we are, what we are doing. So uh, I do... Uh, have sympathy uh, and there are a lot of people out there that believe that taxes should be increased, that there should be a wealth tax and so on. I'm not in favor of changing tax brackets. I do think that there is scope to uh, remove some of the benefits of the middle class and the upper class in the tax system through the deductions that are there and you would have noticed in some of the tax treatments because there was no income tax brackets or VAT tra uh, changes, but there were some benefits changes, mostly to the benefit of the upper class and the middle class. And I, I'm concerned that in a situation where there is so much inequality and so much poverty, that we should be making sacrifices to increase the uh, SRD grant. I'm, I'm personally much more in favor of increasing it significantly to the uh, poverty relief level, 624 Rand a month. Mm. And that would be a multiplier effect on, um, on the businesses and the individuals uh, because many of the people to whom I consult in business, whether it's the retailers, uh, various forms of consumer companies, all say the degree of their revenues uh, performance is very closely tied to the social grants. Mm. So the social grants is not just about uh, you know, providing support for the poor. It's also about stimulating economic activity, which feeds back in the form of VAT and feeds back in the form of corporate uh, revenues and tax payments to the system. So this is a reinforcing thing. I, I uh, as a, again, I, I'm sort of becoming a, uh, I'm repeating myself that yeah. I, I don't see any form of economic stimulus that is going to take our economy forward in a meaningful way. Yeah, I hear you because, I mean, for example, companies like Pepco, Mr. Price, um, low-income um, focused, uh, consumer focused uh, companies will rely on these grants. ShopRite also, um, Boxer from Pick and Pay. So I, I hear your point there, Colin. And Tabi Singh, um, do you think that this could have been the right time to increase that SDR? I have a different approach uh, uh, from, from Colin, uh, different in that I, I don't understand why we only use the budget um, to simply say where we're going to spend um, as an accounting type of uh, uh, announcement. So we've now listened to what was said and what we know is uh, whether or not we'll have some tax rebates and some relief in some form or other. 
but also there's just simply no economic strategy underpinning uh, the change of the of the course of the economic path that South Africa has been on. This is a one opportunity where uh, the minister could have put uh, a hope in the hearts of many, uh, put in place uh, some long-term strategic interventions around how we're going to put in place strategies uh, and adopt uh, and adopt new mechanisms that will change the way in which our economy is, has has been operating for the last decade uh, and even longer. So the first thing I would say is that remember, if we're going to spend more, we've spoken now on the type of, uh, in fact, if you look at historically the the proportion of your uh, community de development, but also your social grants and social development, they take up to 23% of our existing uh, budget. What that means is that if you expand that, even by a small fraction, it could go up to a quarter. Uh, because we already have almost 90 billion, uh, 79 billion in old age grants, child grants. Um, we also have other grants that uh, the social development uh, department is currently uh, releasing. I think the better approach is to really look at mechanisms and strategies to industrialize and to absorb the massive labor that is discouraged in our workforce, that is low and semi-skilled uh, workforce into uh, economic activity so that they have disposable income, which they can then spend and put back into the economy. Uh, what we have not heard is how the economic cluster will work together so that they can have a coherent economic strategy to try and gain some momentum. You'll find there's disjointed strategies, uh, whether it's uh, the, the trade policy uh, doesn't speak necessarily in all subsectors to the economic uh, policies long term that the, the country is trying to put in place. And we haven't sent, uh, been able to deal with the consumption-based economic growth trajectory that we have seen. So most of the growth in South Africa over the last two and a half decades has come from debt-based consumption, even from households. Uh, and we have not seen also from a, uh, I'd say from a subsector perspective, there's a lot of reports that have been done about the concentration index in the economy. Uh, We're not seeing new entrants, SMMEs come in that are sustainable and able to deal with and, uh, and compete with oligopolies. So for me, what we've got to look at is what is the basic requirements for us to change the trajectory we're on. Um, it's not enough to tell us where the money that we've collected is going. What the money that we've collected has been collected is inadequate, but also the problems are so much. We've got massive inequality, we've got massive unemployment, and it's worsening. And so we've got to look at the industrial base. We've got to look at the manufacturing and the secondary sectors, reviving those. We've got to look at the inefficiencies and not only the rail and the mechanisms of moving our commodities out and selling them to Europe, Japan, Pakistan and whoever else is looking for the coal that we have, but rather to look at what are the inefficiencies that curtail us and mm. the investment methods that can help us from domestic resource mobilization towards producing, towards yeah. rural development and towards creating agglomeration of sectors within the peri-urban and urban areas. And I think that we haven't put enough emphasis on that, even in our economic strategies and economic policies, because the outcomes show us that we are not doing well yeah. as a result because they're ina inadequate. If we All look right. at pension funds, the capital markets and the surpluses that you have and ways in which you can re, uh, I'd say, reconfigure the finance tools, the packages, particularly towards infrastructure investment in the rural and peri-urban areas where there hasn't been, I'd say, an agglomeration or a clustering of money and funding even from the state. 
So the state alone cannot solve the problems that we have. So yeah. we've got to look at mechanisms to really crowd in investment together with the private sector, but also look right. at mechanisms to industrialize and improve our productive capabilities. All right. Before we continue with our conversation here in studio, we are crossing over again to Nolutando Mtondi Mlambo as she has uh, Matthew Parks from Kosatu and uh, SARS Commissioner Edward Kiswata standing by. A ram that comes in requires efforts. Well, thank you so much, Zanati. Still coming from the Western Cape, Cape Town this afternoon. I am joined by SARS Commissioner Edward Kiswata. And of course, um, uh, good afternoon, Commissioner. Thank you so much for your time. Commissioner, another successful year of revenue collections, I think um, a victory for all of us. Let's just talk about the continued work being done at SARS to improve efficiencies. Well, let's first talk about what the 93 billion extra means. It means it's 93 billion that the minister does not have to go and borrow. It's 93 billion that doesn't have to service, be serviced through expensive debt service costs. And so that's important for us because that allows the minister to maintain his commitment to a stable fiscal framework. How, where does it come from? Well, it doesn't come out of thin air. We've been helped by uh, buoyant economic recovery in the financial services sector, uh, a little bit from the manufacturing sector, and then although declining, still a contribution from the mining sector. But the most significant dividend that we are reaping is the effect of a SARS that is more effective and where the rebuilding program has continued. 167 billion rand to date we can, we can assign to discrete activities that takes place at SARS every day by 12,500 people. Let me give you a few examples. Almost 1.4 million phone calls to follow up outstanding debt. Over 500,000 final demands that are sent to taxpayers. Several more third-party agents that are appointed to collect debt on our behalf. That alone has contributed over 60 billion rand. Take another area of customs. We have had four, over 4,700 seizures. That means it's goods that are brought into South Africa, either illegally or underdeclared. That effort by our customs officers at the ports of entry and through the risk work we do has contributed almost 3 billion rand just this year. Over a thousand cases that are followed up for criminal investigations. Thankfully, we have seen a 98% success rate in convictions that have led to over 75 uh, years of imprisonment in total, but also several billion rands extra added to the fiscus. Through the data work we do, using artificial intelligence, crunching data, and through machine learning algorithms, we've been able to detect over 30 billion rand of impermissible VAT that would have been paid out, and over 15 billion, almost 18 billion, of impermissible refunds paid out to individuals. So it's not one big thing. It's many little things with consistent effort, with resilience, with commitment from the staff that work at SARS um, that finally delivers the 1.692 trillion that the, the minister has set for us now, which as you have heard, is 93 billion rand 
Now, if you add just last year and this year's additional revenue, we have added to the fiscus almost 300 billion rand of additional revenue that otherwise would not have been collected. I think that is a good news story, um, Minister. I mean, Commissioner, and of course, we are always trying to find good uh, news stories. Let's also then speak about the issue of load shedding and how we're expecting that to impact revenue collections because, you know, nobody is unscathed um, from this load shedding crisis. So, load shedding definitely has an impact. We see, though, that large businesses have the ability to make the investment and make themselves a little bit more self-reliant and I think that has saved us in a bit but also it's created a new industry of renewables so we see uh, additional sales that have come in we've seen imports being benefited and that produces more customs duties and taxes and so all of that has a positive spin-off so out of load shedding we're making some good news small businesses, however are not able to do the same and I think small businesses are suffering we've heard the mining houses reporting uh, suppressed profits because of production levels that cannot be kept up. We've had uh, five, billion, five trillion, uh, a billion tons of production from mining houses that could not reach the port because of electricity breakdowns, because of uh, logistics breakdowns. So between our logistics sector and our electricity sector, it has a huge impact and I think also Today, the minister's commitment to bringing some relief to Eskom to focus on maintaining their plant, because that's still the biggest uh, uh, um, investment in electricity generation. Whilst we need to transition to renewables for the next foreseeable few years, we'll still rely on coal. We have to get the coal plant to work. We also have to fix transit so that we can convey uh, product from the mines and from cities to the board, to the ports of, of, of uh, Durban and, and Riches Bay. If we don't get that working, those issues will continually constrain and prevent the tax base from expanding because it, it, it creates struggles for economic activities, it creates struggles for the expansion of productive capacity and ultimately it reduces the economic growth, it prevents the creation of jobs, and then the spin-through of that, it also then will impact tax revenue collection. All right, well, thank you for that elaborate answer, Commissioner. Before I let you go, last thing, illicit trade. Let's talk about how we are clamping down on that. I think recently British American Tobacco has been very vocal about this issue, how it's affecting them. They've had to have some layoffs. But I know that SARS um, is on this, you know, there's something that you have been committed to. Um, how are those, um, you know, uh, how is that effort going at this point? I think we've made a, a significant breakthrough in the tobacco industry. You've seen the, um, the, the uh, uh, particular announcement we made earlier this year with one of the big tobacco syndicates. Uh, but they're also across the board. Uh, we've had uh, you know, over two billion uh, collected from seizures and from um, also uh, uh, going into the industry and uh, preventing uh, the illicit uh, trade in, in unlawful cigarettes and tobacco products from entering our market. But that has a huge, it's got many tentacles. There are many, so, so through the work that we have established through our dedicated uh, division that focuses on syndicated crime, 
we are slowly beginning to see and making inroads there. So together with our customs operations at the ports of entry, as well as the uh, Division for Syndicated Crime, we are slowly beginning to see uh, us turning the tide. But we have a long way to go. Sadly, in South Africa, crime and corruption is endemic. Well, Commissioner, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure catching up with you um, there. And that's Commissioner of SARS, Edward Kieswetter, really speaking to us about revenue collections, a good news story um, for South Africa this year. Right. So thank, uh, you, thank you for your time. Sorry. Thanks so much, Nolu. Right, we are back in studio, and I think we actually have about five more minutes left of the panel discussion. Uh, just an interesting point uh, that uh, was said by a representative from the IFP earlier on, um, questioning whether the budget aligned with the State of the Nation address. And I'd actually just like to come to you, Peter. Uh, I don't know. For, uh, at face value, it seemed that there were quite uh, bold things that were said at the State of the Nation address. I'm not sure if you agree, but did this budget align? with what was promised and the kind of support that was promised by government? Well, kind of, but I think it comes back to the earlier conversation on broader policy. I mean, we have Treasury and DTIC completely at each other's throats and with completely different views of economic policymaking. And so as a result, there's just sort of no sense of joined up thinking here between what goes on in DTIC and what goes on uh, in uh, in Treasury. So, but that's not new, right? And I think this comes back to the point. If we view this budget as this steady ratchet forward, this sort of marginal fiddling around the edges, it's fine. But this is not what a budget is meant to be, right? This is not meant to be clearing out space of inappropriate uh, programs to actually make some space for the, uh, the social wage. Um, you know, this is not actually uh, thinking about where the states can be better deploying infrastructure spending money as opposed to constantly seeing underspend on it every year. So I, you know, it very much depends on your frame of reference, I think, looking at the budget, if it's positive or, or not. But overall, the markets are pretty happy. Uh, they're going to be getting all the cash back uh, from holding ESCOM debt, uh, despite knowing the risks of uh, ESCOM all along. Uh, and they're going to be uh, seeing probably issuance tick up of SAGBs very marginally next year, um, which is roughly in line with expectations. So uh, again, yeah, I think people will brush some of these problems under the carpet. We'll be having the same yeah. conversation at the MTBPS this year. All right. We do have one minute left, and unfortunately, I won't be getting your closing comments. Uh, but just, Lumgile, I um, haven't come to you <laughs> in, 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 in a few minutes. So I just want to know, just looking at what was said and what was committed, do you think that it got to a point where uh, energy, the conversation around energy, did overshadow the social responsibility or priorities that the government has, or was it pertinent to focus on that? It is, it is pertinent. So if you want to measure the performance of the NC uh, and its inability uh, to follow through and close a vision, energy is a very good example. So the other stuff doesn't matter that much. It is that energy which is a bigger symptom of the rest of the mismanagement. So this is the government that we've chosen, uh, and this is what they're experiencing. So, um, deja vu. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, thank you very much uh, to my panel for all your insights. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Just as we were analyzing the uh, speech uh, that came out of Finance Minister Enoch Godongwana on the 2023 budget. Uh, former Goldman Sachs Sub-Saharan Africa CEO and co-chairman of the Youth Employment Service, Colin Coleman, senior lecturer at the Witt School of Economics and Business Sciences, Lumkile Mondi, managing director and global lead of capital markets and political economy at Intellidex, Peter Atard Montalto, and a development economist at the Stellenbosch Business School, Ntabiseng Moleko.